Hello, I'm Brandon Martini, a commercial pilot and flight instructor. And I'm Carson Vasquez. I'm a private pilot. And you're listening to the Aviation Mentors Podcast, sponsored by Stratus Financial. So buckle up, because the Aviation Mentors are taking off. Welcome back, everybody, to the Aviation Mentors Podcast. Today, we're going to be doing another round of Ask a CFI, part two. Um, and that CFI happens to be me today. And the one asking the questions is Carson. So I'm excited to hear some of these questions. Uh, he's kind of briefed me a little bit on them, but uh, some of them are questions that I like to answer all the time or actually just give advice to new CFIs about. So we're going to kind of go, go across, uh, I don't know, three or five questions today. We'll see how long we've got. And uh, Carson, why don't you take it away? Sounds good. Uh, I don't know what it is, but it seems like I also end up giving a lot of advice uh, about getting your CFI, considering I don't have my CFI. Uh, but I've just been around it so long and have talked to so many people. Um, I don't really give advice so much. It's just uh, I, I just give input based on what I see a lot. By the way, that's Carson's version of a disclaimer. So just so everyone knows. Yeah, uh, just so people don't be like, oh, man, he doesn't have a CFI. He doesn't know what he's talking about. I kind of know a little bit what I'm talking about, but not a lot. So let's, let's continue. Uh, I'm not sure if it's just CFI initial season, but I've met a lot of pilots going for the initial CFI recently. So I kind of figured we could talk a little bit more about some of the questions that are a little more applicable to them than uh, most of our student pilot questions. So the first one is, as a CFI, what should your first lesson with a student look like? Uh, I know it's something that a lot of CFIs look forward to, but also get super scared of uh, after doing all those lesson plans for their CFI. So you mean like my first lesson as a flight instructor or like a student's first lesson? Uh, we could do both, but really just as a CFI, what is your first lesson with a, a brand new student, brand new CFI? What is that going to look like? First off, you're normally nervous. Actually, you are nervous for sure. You're incredibly nervous. Uh, you're wondering what this whole journey of becoming a flight instructor is all about because now you're actually doing it. Um, it's likely the first time that you're ever going to get paid for flying, which is um, pretty cool in itself. Uh, so it's exhilarating. Uh, you have to also have the confidence uh, that you are a very competent CFI. I mean, you are competent. You passed your check ride. Uh, you still have a ton to learn, uh, obviously, but it's it's going to be a challenge for sure. And I think a lot of a lot of CFIs go up there and probably just as nervous as the student if it's the student's first um, first lesson. Uh, but you just go there and I would prep. I mean, I would find out what the student is on. If it's a brand new student, that's one thing. If it's a demo flight or an introductory flight, that's one thing. But also if it's a, if it's a student who's kind of already been flying and they're maybe pre-solo or just post-solo, you should go talk to whoever their primary instructor is or primary, who, or who their primary instructor was uh, if they're leaving or they have left, or even look at all the notes. Uh, if you're going to a pretty good school, they should have have notes on what each lesson they've been working on. They sh you should know what syllabus number that that student's on. Uh, that way you can kind of gauge and see where they're at. And on top of that, you should also use all of those notes and records and communications with everybody and study up on what you should be working with them on. So if you're on slow flight installs and, and hood work, uh, you should really probably read up on some of the PHAC stuff. Um, or in the airplane flying handbook or whatever it may be, you should read up on that or your lesson plans, find out what the objective and goals are for each lesson. Um, I would really just come extra prepared. Um, in the future, you might not have to do that as often because you're going to know exactly how to teach a student and how to get past certain variables. Uh, but it's really a good refresher, um, especially right before you get with the student. And then I know you asked as a, as a student, uh, what, what should we do with a student on their first lesson? So let's say I'm an instructor 
I am an instructor, but let's just say I'm going to, I'm going to go out and do my, uh, a student's first lesson. Uh, so I go out there today and somebody has their first lesson. Um, a, a first lessons kind of can be a demo flight or could be a normal first lesson. Um, so I know that I typically use the Glime, Glime syllabus. So I'll look at what the first lesson is and, and details on there. But if I'm not doing a, a first lesson based on that syllabus, what I want to do is I want to instill confidence in the airplane, the abilities of myself, and also in the abilities of, of the student. So I will have a really good briefing with the student uh, on the ground, like an extra long one. And then I'll have an extra long briefing um, on the airplane and on pre-flight, essentially. Um, and in that briefing, in the initial briefing, when I'm talking on the ground, and then I'll even mention it while we're pre-flighting. I talk about positive exchange of controls because I feel that that is the most important thing that you need to show somebody um, and talk to them about and make sure that they fully understand what it means. Uh, because we know that there's been several accidents in the past and, and one even recently in Santa Monica just a few months ago, where unfortunately the CFI and the, and the student both lost their life. And that was um, could have been from various reasons. Uh, but it sounds like, at least from what I've read so far, it sounds like the the student just would not let go of the controls. Um, I don't know if it was the student's fault or if it was the CFI's fault. Uh, NTSB will probably come out with a report if they haven't already and explain exactly what happened. Um, but regardless, the CFI should have had a longer conversation with that student about positive exchange of controls regardless of what happened. The way that I do that is I sit with a student on the ground and I literally act like I've got my hands on the control wheel of a, an airplane and I have my feet on the rudder pedals. And I will practice three-way positive exchange of controls to say, my controls, your controls, my controls. And I'll say that over and over again. So it's so repetitive that they just want to slap me because I've said it so many times. And when I do it, I told them, if I'm, since I'm the flight instructor and I'm the professional in this airplane, I tell every student they need to uh, let go of the controls. And not just let go and move their hand like a quarter inch away from the controls or from the pedals. I want them to literally take their hands from the control wheel, or some people call it the yoke, which... That's not proper, but I'm not going to go into that right now. Uh, take their hands from the control wheel. Just move them a little bit. No, I want them to move them far away. I tell them to put both their hands uh, in front of their face almost, like just to the, to the side of them, just like they're putting their thumb in their, their ears and like waving their fingers, like a uh, neener, neener, neener type of thing. I want them to literally take their hands and move them all the way up to their head. And I want them to take their feet and spread their legs and move them backwards so they're not impeding the control wheel and they're not impeding the rudder pedals. I do that on the ground. I make them do it. I don't care if it's a 16-year-old kid or a 40-year-old uh, professional woman or man or a 70-year-old student. I don't care how, how silly they feel doing it. I don't care about any of that. And I straight up say, I don't care how silly you feel. It looks silly, I know. And I feel silly asking it, but it's going to save our life if I ask for it. Um, so I think it's really important. So I tell everybody they have to do it. And if they refuse to do that exercise, I refuse to fly with them. And I'll say it in a really nice way, but no one's ever refused that because obviously you're, you're teaching them and they need to have respect for you. So once you do that, then I practice that in the airplane before we even turn on the engine. And then I practice it again while we're taxing as a surprise. And normally they're so inundated with what's going on. The surprise doesn't, uh, doesn't really hit them. Right. So I said, look, you missed it. I know that you're excited and, or you're nervous or whatever it might be, but you missed my command. And this is really important. So then we get over to the run-up area and I do it again. And that time, they normally are a little bit more reactive. And then right before we're about to take off, I say it. So holding short line, like right after we get instructions to go past the hold short line for takeoff, I do it again. And that time, because I've done it so many times up to that, they definitely let go. And I do this even on demo flights. I spend the extra time to go over it. And then 
I will let them do a takeoff every single time. Everybody can take off in an airplane. Not everybody can land it in the first try. But everybody can take off if you give them very subtle and very clear and precise instructions. And you don't say, pull back on the control wheel a little bit. You give them an exact measurement, like with your finger showing them how far. You don't talk to them on, oh yeah, pull it, pull it back six inches or pull it back three inches or whatever it may be, because everyone has a different dimension of what measurements are. And you can test this by you and your best friend drawing a line on a piece of paper and say, hey, draw an eight inch line. And you will both have different variations of what that looks like. Um, some will be seven, some will be 10, some will be eight. Just it depends on your personality. So on their first lesson, I know this is a long-winded version of this, but it's definitely important because your controls, my controls, their controls, or vice versa, are super important because that's safety of flight issue. That way, when we do do that takeoff and they get a takeoff in the first time, they are not going to kill us if they do something totally wrong because I can just say my controls, they will let go and I can fix it and, and make that a really cool, fun, safe flight. Besides that, I'll go up and I'm just going to show them instill confidence in the airplane, like turns, mild turns, not steep turns. We're doing like 30, 35 degree turns. Uh, we're doing um, slow climbs and slow descents because most people get scared about descending for some reason. I know I did when I was learning. Um, and I'm going to do basic stuff. And I'm going to show, I'm also going to show them how professional I am on the radios, like really, really professional. Because if you do that and all of those things, when you come back and land, they're going to say that they felt safe with you. They felt that the airplane was safe and they were in a really safe environment. So they're going to want to come back and fly again. So I think all of those things are really, really important. And every CFI I know, I'm going to tell them to listen to this episode because I think those tips can really, really help, especially brand new CFIs or people that want to become a CFI, I want you to remember these things. If your current flight instructor is not doing some of them, honestly, bring it up to them. And if they disagree with me, have them reach out to me. I want to have that conversation. And uh, if you think this is the first time Brian's given this advice, uh, I'm just sitting here, just, I, I know exactly the next thing he's going to say. I've been around so many times and Brandon says this exact same advice to every CFI he meets, every first time CFI, um, right before their first demo flight or first lesson, he gives the same advice, almost in the same order, um, down to drawing the, uh, the, eight three inch line whatever and uh there's only one time I, I was there watching it and him and the cfi drew the same size line he's like, okay well maybe you're different but uh yeah let's keep going <laughs> yeah that was a weird one i don't he was the only one who's ever ever nailed that before which was pretty interesting to me so he was he was good uh but anyway he really takes us into the next question we have is when you're flying with a student pilot as a cfi how much control should you give them especially on their first lesson uh, I know we covered the your controls, my controls, your controls thing, but how much control do you actually give them uh, aside from letting them take off and, and letting them fly? How do you know when it's time to take it back? Um, and when you're flying with someone that's not just a, a student pilot and you're flying with uh, another private pilot, commercial pilot, how do you know when to take control back, really? So I give the student as much control immediately as I can. I want them to feel the airplane. I want them to feel the rush of going like 130 miles an hour, 150 miles an hour. Like they've never done that. Um, and it won't even feel like you're going that fast, by the way, if you've never done a flight, <laughs> it doesn't feel like you're going that fast, but you can be. Um, so I'll give them as much controls as I can. Um, sometimes they don't want it because they're nervous about the controls. They think that they can change, they can break something or they think that they'll be too rough with it. And I, I say, no, you can kind of do whatever you want. Um, just don't do X, Y, and Z. One is like break airspace or or like try to spin the airplane, like do a barrel roll. They'll call it a spin, but I knew what they mean. They mean do a barrel roll. Like don't do crazy things like that. Um, and you're fine. And honestly, no one's, I've never had anybody that's tried to do that before. Uh, so I let them fly the entire airplane from takeoff 
all the way, sometimes all the way to landing or close to it. I can talk them through it and they'll have so much confidence by the end of it. It's, it's unbelievable. Sometimes maybe it's a little bit too much confidence with like, oh, I could fly an airplane easily and I should solo in just a couple hours. And sometimes that's not very true, uh, but at least they'll be able to manage certain things with the airplane. So I have them use the power. I tell them to pull out the power a little bit for, I don't know, a couple, couple inches of manifold pressure, or actually probably not with a brand new student, but maybe a, a couple hundred RPM is probably more likely. So I'll have students do that type of stuff and then definitely control the airplane and just not overbank. And I'll just talk to them. And my voice goes from like excited and kind of type A personality, like you kind of hear on here, to a really soothing person uh, in an airplane. It's it's really a trip. I think Carson's probably heard me be that soothing person. Do you have a comment on it? I do. Uh, it's actually perfect timing for you to mention that because I, I was talking with Maddie last night and she said I have a pilot voice on the radio and in the airplane. Um, like, like when we went to that long flight, like I, I had a specific voice that, that I was talking in. Um, and I didn't believe her. I, I went and found like li live ATC of my flight and I listened to it. And I was like, I do have a pilot voice, like super monotone, but like not like super just chatty like I am here. Um, it sounds like professional. And I was, it, it was funny. So I was just thinking about it. And you totally have a, a pilot voice. Uh, every time you talk on the radio in an airplane, um, it's like not the same Mr. Martini as I always know. Yeah. I, I even think I have a third voice. I think I've got the normal branded voice. I've got the pilot voice. And then the CFI voice for brand new people is way different. Um, you have to be so calm and collected and just, all right, just make a left turn here and, and let's climb a little bit. And if you notice that voice sounds way different than my normal voice, but it's calm, it's collected. It, it makes them know that they are, they're here to enjoy. Right. Um, so another question you asked kind of in the midst of all that was when should I take controls from the student? Um, if they are just not listening to me whatsoever and I tell them, hey, pull up a little bit or push down a little bit and I give them direction with my hand, like what a little bit is. Um, if they're not listening whatsoever, I'll take the controls. Um, that doesn't happen very often, by the way. Or if they're about to break airspace, that I will definitely take controls like every single time. Uh, I'm not going to let them break a regulation just to make them have fun. I will take the controls away every time somebody is close to breaking a regulation. Essentially, if you get within 200 feet of, of an airspace, I'm talking kind of laterally, if, if you're below a shelf, like at Riverside, we've on our departure end of 27, we've got uh, Clash Charlie at 2,700 feet. So if you get to 2,500 and I told you to stay, like 2,400 or below, and you get to 25, I'm going to take the controls. So I'm going to do stuff like that all the time. And when you're flying uh, with passengers, it's, it's a little bit different when you let them have controls and, and you're just like, feel it, turn the plane left, right, go up, down. Uh, when you're a CFI with an actual student, you have to care a lot about the student's confidence. You're, you're really cultivating a confident pilot from, your, from their training. So how do you take the controls back in a way that doesn't hurt their confidence? You know, if you say, just give it to me, uh, I'm doing it, I'm, I'm flying. That's obviously going to hurt their confidence quite a bit. So how do you say it when you when you say my controls, obviously, but how do you explain to them after why you took the controls back in a, that third Brandon voice? Yeah, I, I don't just uh, take the controls and say I'm doing it or anything like that. And if you have a CFI that says that, fire them immediately. Please fire them and go tell whoever their boss is that they're a horrible instructor. Um, and then have them call me too. I'm definitely down to have a conversation with that person. Um, but no, when you take the controls from somebody, it depends on the situation. If they did something totally unsafe and you've had 10 conversations with them about it, that's a different way to talk about it. But if they're just having a good time and they just are making mistakes and you just can't get past it because they're focused there and you, no matter what you say, it's not teaching them anything. So there's, there's a book I, I always recommend. What is it? Telling is not teaching, right? 
And telling isn't teaching. If you tell somebody, turn the airplane left, turn the airplane right, that's not teaching them anything. So whenever I take controls, I'll actually take the controls from the student. And as soon as I take controls, as long as I'm not talking to ATC or something, I'll explain while I'm doing it in a nice, calm voice. Hey, by the way, I took the controls because I wanted to give you a minute just to process what just happened. Let me explain to you what you did and then what you did wrong and how we can fix it. And then I will hand the controls back and I'll talk them through it. Then they can do it on them uh, on their own and so on and so forth, kind of depending on what what stage of what maneuver they're at. So I'll do that quite often, uh, especially if if somebody or there's also another time where I'll take the controls rapidly from somebody. And that's if I see another airplane really close to us and be like, my controls now. And I'll say it loud and they'll know that it's a different voice. Like my controls now, and I'll say it just like that. They'll let go instantly. I'll put the airplane in a dive or a climb or a turn or whatever it may be. And after I'm resituated, I'll say, by the way, there was an airplane on kind of a collision course with us. It might have been safe. It might not have been safe. I wanted to make sure I got us out of this situation quicker uh, because you might not have seen it. And if you did, then okay. But if you didn't, now I got us out of that situation for sure. For sure. So just so you, you know, you didn't do anything wrong. I just wanted to make sure that we got ourselves out of that situation. Uh, but that's also a reminder, if you didn't see that traffic, you always got to keep your head on a swivel and keep looking around for other airplanes in the air. Yeah, it's, it's nerve wracking being a CFI. You have to be responsible for yourself and for another student. Um, and I know that one of the most nerve wracking experiences for a pilot is their first solo. Uh, the only thing that can really top that is the nerve wracking experience of being a CFI signing off a student for their first solo. Um, you know, there was just a student or a CFI a couple weeks ago that was signed off his first ever solo endorsement for a student. And uh, the student was going to go do his first solo, has whole family there. And I talked to the student. And I was like, hey, you, you ready for this? You feeling nervous? He said, I'm, I'm nervous, but I feel pretty ready for it. Like, I'm, I'm ready to go. Let's go do this. And I asked the CFI, I said, are you ready for this? And he just nodded up and down. He's like, yeah, absolutely. And then just mouthed, no, hell no. <laughs> He's, and, and when the student went and uh, and finally was was out of sight, he was just pacing with his little handheld up on the up on the patio area, just watching the student. Uh, you don't understand as a student how nervous your CFI is for you. Uh, they know they trained you, they know that they did the best they could, and they know that you're ready for it. But as a CFI, how do you get to that point where you know that student is really ready to get signed off for their first solo? It is nerve wracking, by the way. It's downright scary signing your first student off because now you're certifying with your signature by well, pretty much legally that you think that they're able to to get in an airplane and keep the public safe, uh, keep themselves safe, and keeping the airplane safe. I mean, they're, you're really betting on all three of those things working all at the same time. Um, and them understanding the radios and not getting too nervous and not turning into a whole different person without you in there and getting on their cell phone and taking selfies while flying and stuff. You're, you're really betting or guaranteeing that they're not going to do any of those things and they're going to be safe. I would say, I don't know, 19 out of 20 people are safe and, and they're not going to go take selfies while taking off and, and weird, crazy things like that. But there are some people that do. But it is nerve wracking. It's scary. And the question that you asked is, how do you know when that person is proficient? Well, first off, you went through and knocked out all the requirements uh, in, the, um, in the FARs, um, or you've knocked out all the requirements of the FARs and in the syllabus that you may be working on, combination of both. Um, you're really confident in their abilities with emergencies. So you've thrown all sorts of emergencies at them, um, like a fire, like an engine failure. That's probably the biggest one, an engine failure. 
um, or radios going out. You've thrown these at them in the most inopportune times on takeoff, on landing, on um, when you're flying around and they don't expect it. And they handled all of those situations in a calm, professional manner. So they've handled all these emergencies properly. Um, granted, they're not going to be perfect, but at least you know they were going to be safe. And then the same thing goes with their landings. Uh, landings are obviously most important. Well, not the most important, but might be one of the most important things uh, in learning to solo. I think emergencies might be up there, but you have even if you have an emergency, you still have to land the airplane. So um, it's very, very important that you know how to land. Um, so you should be able to know how to do a short field, a soft field. You should know uh, how to take ATC's instructions. If they tell you to do a right 360 while you're in the pattern, um, you should know what land and hold short means. You should know what lineup and weight means, depending on what airport you're at uh, for those two things. You need to make sure the student knows those environmental factors. You also need to know that they can make it to another airport, very local, uh, because what if your airport closes down because somebody gets into an accident or there's a fire in the tower or something? Um, there was a fire near Riverside Tower and it actually shut down radio communications. There were people soloing in the pattern. Well, they had to land still. So that was semi-emergency for, a, for a, a solo student, right? So you're making sure that they have all of these things equipped in their brain. And then on top of that, they still know how to land the airplane and they know how to land a short field uh, and soft field and normal landing. And also maybe it's minor crosswind landing, but you're probably not going to do first solo on a gusty, on a gusty day, obviously. Um, Carson's nodding his head like, I soloed on a gusty day. Actually, I think I remember that. It was pretty, it was a pretty good day for you to, to solo. Um, your uh, CFI had some guts to solo you that day. He must have had a few under his belt. And I think he did. <laughs> so outside of that, you need to make sure that they're proficient at landings. So if you are, have a student or you are the student that you're just going and doing landing after landing after landing, and they're always uh, at least middle of the road. They're, they may not be great. Um, they may not be uh, horrible, but they need to be either middle of the road or better. Um, you're not going to hurt yourself. You're not going to hurt the airplane. After you can do that consistently over time where you have no more bad or terrible landings or ones that the instructor has to take over, then I go ahead and let a student solo. And what that means in my head is you can do 10 consecutive landings over two days without instructor assistance. Um, now this with all the other requirements as well. But if you can do 10 consecutive landings over two different lessons, um, one after the other, and none of them need instructor assistance, and that includes radio work, it includes anything. And by the way, if you miss a radio call on those types of days where I'm kind of testing you, I'm not going to even say anything. I'm going to let Tower just call you again so you know what it's like if you miss a radio call. Hey, they're just going to be bothering you. So I mean no instructor assistance. I'll let you make mistakes, and I'll let you do little things like that, which... That's the only way you learn, really, from mistakes. So just so just so you're aware, that's that's what I look for as a as an instructor. I think that's what most people do as well. Yeah, it's just it, it's really nerve wracking being a being an instructor. I, I've watched it happen a million times. Uh, just these instructors are nervous, but you have to understand as well on the student side that once your instructor gives you that sign off, they're not going to risk their certificate uh, just so you can just so you can solo. Uh, they're going to make sure you are absolutely ready to go and solo. And uh, there's one piece of advice that I really want Brian to talk about before we end, and it's how you write a solo endorsement for a student. Um, there, there's a lot to it, I know, but I, I obviously I've never written one, but I've been in the office and around enough times where Brandon's telling instructors, especially new instructors, how to write a solo endorsement, 
that is good for the student and protects yourself as the instructor? Yeah, so there's a few things. Um, I tell everyone not to use those pre-made endorsements in the back of everyone's logbook from uh, Glime and Jeppesen or whatever type of logbook you have, or even ForeFlight. ForeFlight might be up to date. I haven't really checked lately, to be honest, on ForeFlight. But on the other ones, the printed ones, nine out of 10 times, they're wrong. Do not use those. And if your instructor's using them, I highly suggest you go check a document if you're a student. Um, it's Advisory Circular 60. 6165 hotel and it's basically the bible on how to write a, a logbook endorsement for every single rating uh, and it explains to you how to write the endorsement the exact wording uh, you need to have exactly it even tells you spacing it tells you uh, in what order to to write like commercial pilot certificate number etc it tells you everything cfis will will just sign their name put their cfi number and expiration date well that's actually not a, a valid signature by the way you need to have a printed name your signature your cfi number and the expiration date you actually have to have four things um, so a lot of people screw up on that so i make sure to tell the instructors hey you need to to make sure you check for that outside of that as the as a new instructor i'll tell them you need to go read 6165 hotel uh, and then if it's uh like a private pilot i'll tell them that they need to uh, make sure that they've complied with all of part 61 so like part 61 will tell you exactly like you have to hit emergency procedures and you have to do certain landings and all these other things and and you're also going to have to uh, do a pre-solo exam so you need to ensure that all of that's been logged like you have to log the ground that you've went over their pre-solo exam uh you need to log all these things should be even logged individually uh, in each and every single one of your flights like which far did you complete that day just don't put slow flight or power on stalls or or whatever it is and also to reduce liability you should do two things um, on your endorsements and even when you're signing signing for a flight that you did so if you go do power on and power off stalls don't put we did power on power off stalls put uh, power on and power off stall recovery technique or something like that because an insurance company is going to come after you one day and say, well, you just taught them how to stall. You didn't teach them how to recover from it. And you're like, of course I did. That's common sense. It's not that common when you're talking to non-pilots in a court of law. So make sure and non-pilot insurance companies, those things are not good combinations. So make sure that you really document what you do. The other big thing that every single CFI should do um, on the bottom of a solo endorsement is put must ask CFI permission and put CFI, Brandon Martini's permission prior to solo, because some people will take solo endorsements and they will go to other um, schools or maybe not schools, but they'll go to their friends and say, hey, can I use your 172? I'm already endorsed to fly in one. And believe it or not, there's some people that'll say yes. Um, and people will sign and you can fly your friend's airplanes and things on an endorsement. Um, you may not think that your student would be capable of that, but I guarantee you there are students out there that do it and have done it, and I doubt their instructor thought they were capable of it either, but they did. So, and I've seen it happen a bunch of times. So it's not just something that's a one-off that's happened once or twice ever. It's, I've seen it happen several times. So make sure you put must-ask CFI prior permission to soloing. Don't just give them a blanket endorsement that's good for 90 days, because that's just kind of crazy to me. Um, give them some, also you need to like tell them, hey, you can only fly VFR. <laughs> you can only fly during the day. You can only fly when it's over seven miles visibility. You can only fly when it's got a three knot cross or whatever your, your, your school either mandates or, or you feel they're capable of. Uh, but 
limit limit that uh, endorsement as much as you can, uh, because that's kind of your get out of jail free card. If they go and break that endorsement, that's on them. It's not on you. Yeah, I've had plenty of students ask me uh, questions that I would think are just dumb questions like, hey, uh, I have my solo endorsement and it says the ceiling has to be at 6,000 feet, um, but it, it's like 2,000 feet right now and it's uh, it's broken. Do you think I could, I could just go? I was like, what does your endorsement say? Like 6,000? And what's the ceiling? 2,000? But it, it, it looks pretty high up. Like, no, you can't go. Your CFI gave you that for a reason. Uh, so you have to trust that people are going to check your endorsement. And it's going to happen at some point. So don't risk it. Don't try and do something dumb. And uh, becoming a CFI, it's not an easy process. And it really shouldn't be an easy process. The CFI trains the next generation of pilots and teaches them everything that they know. Uh, after you get your flight instructor certificate, though, there's not all that much guidance. Uh, there's not a ton out there aside from other CFIs and, of course, the aviation mentors, right? And I hope today's episode gives you a little bit of insight into what it's like to be a CFI. and gives you a little more confidence when it comes to being your um, your CFI having a first student and it, it's a lot of stress but hope it helps out a little bit yeah absolutely uh, I hope I hope we answered quite a few questions and from a, a CFI perspective a new CFI perspective an older CFI perspective or even a student perspective I hope you learned something today from it so thank you guys for listening and as always if you'd like to reach out to either one of us on Twitter or Instagram you can actually listen to any of our other episodes to get our handles uh, because no one ever reaches out to us on that. So from now on, we're just going to give you our emails. Uh, we've gotten several emails from uh, from you all uh, via email. So we're really enjoying that. We're able to connect with some of our listeners. Uh, for me, you can reach me at brandon at aviationmentors.com. And for Carson, you can reach him at carson at aviationmentors.com. And come and check us out at Sun and Fun, guys. Uh, we're going to be there the whole time, and we're excited to meet some of you. So as we wrap up for the day, remember, we're here to guide you in your aviation journey. So fly safe and enjoy the ride. <laughs>